following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in Genesis. For previous messages or to find out more about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, church, good morning. It is, uh, I guess it's the, I guess the official last week of summer, right? Yeah, yeah. For some of you teachers, you're like, well, actually, I start tomorrow. For you, we mourn for you. But we have one more week, one more week of this inferno of a season. So uh, I'm excited about this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. We, uh, you can find your place in Genesis 11. So I can't wait to, to kind of finish up this series. Here's what's happening, though. Uh, it feels like we just started in Genesis but today we reach kind of a, a, a stopping point in Genesis. We're going to push the pause button. Don't worry, we are going to come back to it. But we finished up our first part of Genesis, or we will this morning. So let me give you kind of a glimpse of where we are heading. I am so excited about this church because we are about to step into a new series starting next week in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, I cannot wait because as followers of Jesus, it matters that we, we understand, we read, we know about his life, his, his work, his, his person, and it, that's what this series is all about. We get to look at, our, at the person, the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and um, I cannot wait. And more than, more than that, we're going to uh, do some things as a church that we've never done before in this series. So um, you're going to hear more about this this week and next week, but I, I'll give you a little bit of a teaser. If you are not receiving our weekly email from, from Stone Oak Bible Church, it's called creatively The Weekly. If you have not received that, I, I want to urge you to change that because this week we're going to be rolling out some, some things for you as we step into this series. The way you do that, the easiest way you do that is just on our front page of our website. StoneOakBible.com. At the bottom, you can put in your name and your email, and it's done. So in that, e- that information goes nowhere but to this list. So if you are not getting a weekly email from us, let's change that together. So uh, we start in next week in the Luke, but for now, let's turn our focus on Genesis 11. Let's finish this portion of Genesis well. We are going to look at a very interesting story uh, the Tower of Babel. So before we get into it, let's, uh, let's pray together, and then we will dive in. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time that we have had in Genesis. I pray that as we prepare ourselves to look at your word, that you would open our hearts and our, and our minds to, to see and to understand who you are. God, if there's anything that I say that's not in accordance with your word, I pray that it just flies way over top of our heads. But God, I pray that in this process that your word is, is clear to, to all of us and that our love for you, our affection for you just grows as a result of our time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this is a crazy story that we're about to look at. And I'm gonna put before you that I think this is an incredibly timely uh, story for us to, to be looking at. I, I love that I get the opportunity to preach God's word, elves. But there are certain times when I come across texts that do their best to preach themselves. And I feel like in so many ways, this is one of those, those texts. And so let's just start right off the bat in, in verse 
one together. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. So right off of that, I want to just, you might have noticed something if you've been following with us in reading. Uh, you might have noticed this already, but let me just call out something that's going on. It, you'll notice that chapter 10, Genesis 10, and Genesis 11 in your Bible are not in order chronologically. Uh, so as you read chapter 10, you're going to notice nations and spreading and peoples and languages, and it's even going to reference Babel in chapter 10. And then we get to chapter 11. There's a lot of things that are going on here. Um, I don't want to get too much in the weeds on this. I, I will say this, though. Uh, it is very typical for Genesis and, and actually for the Hebrew language to care just as much about the structure of what they write than the chronological events that they're writing about. So if you were to pan out and look at Genesis, especially 4 through 11, you're going to notice a beautiful structure. And this fits perfectly into it. I say this because I don't want us to get hung up on this. So what chapter 10 does paints a broad picture. Chapter 11 starts and cues us and it says, now remember that time when the whole earth had one language? It kind of pans us back to this, to this time. So um, let's look at verse 2. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. All right, so get that picture in your mind. We talked about the flood last week, right? And so after the flood, we have, um, back with our man Noah, we have people spreading out and multiplying, filling the earth. They're spreading. Uh, at this point, as our text said, they all had the same language. They were all one. Now, um, for those of you who may live on the east side of town, there's nothing wrong with you. However... In Genesis specifically, whenever Genesis references the East, it never goes well. It's, it's always a reference to people who were moving away from God's plan and God's desire. Uh, you, you think Adam and Eve. They sin. East. You think uh, uh, Lot and Abraham. When Lot decides which way, East. Sodom and Gomorrah did not end well. You think Jacob when he flees his homeland. East again. So this is symbolic language. No offense to you East people, but this is symbolic language, and it's not coincidental. Um, it communicates something that we're about to see pretty clearly. So let's look at chapter or verse 3 in, in chapter 11. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Um, so there's a lot to get into just here. But this kind of lays out their, their plan. Um, this, these verses, these two verses, are really important for us to understanding their little building project that, that they're about to embark on. Um, so for a moment, I want to answer three questions and we'll move forward. I want to answer the how, I want to answer the what and the why behind this little construction project. All right, let's start with the how. And it says, they said, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. So they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Um, to an Israelite, this verse would instantly stand out instantly stand out because this is not the way to build a tower. 
This is just not the way to, to do it. Um, you use stone. It's everywhere. It's strong. You use stone. Um, it's strong. It's abundant. You use mortar. But here they use sun-dried, sun-baked bricks that were a less effective human invention. This is subtle, but this would have been a mockery. I, I saw a commentator, commentary from a, a Jewish scholar who said, only fools, it's pretty blunt, uh, only fools would choose brick in preference to good Palestinian stone. In other words, even their methods were saying something. Even their methods were saying something. It's as if they were saying, you know, we're going to do what we want to do, and we're going to do it the way we want to do it. We're going to do this the way we want to do it. This is a celebration of human achievement, and there's ever so subtle hits of arrogance, even in their construction method here as we're, as we're going to see. Now, let's move from the how and let's look at the what. Verse 4 says, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. So they set out to build this tower or a ziggurat. Um, you see these all throughout the ancient world, by the way. This is not unique to, to Babel. They're, they're often these huge, lofty, solid brick uh, structures with like stair steps up them like giant porch step that takes you from the ground up, up, up into the heavens. And these things were, were, were seen, they're significant in a lot of pagan cultures, but they were seen as kind of the meeting place from earth to heaven. This is the, the, the uh, I saw its reference as the arena of divine activity. In other words, this is where it happens. This is where man reaches God. Uh, it's a way to lessen the gap, if you will, between man and God. This is the way these were, these were looked at. Now, as you can Im imagine, the Bible doesn't speak all that favorably when it comes to man's attempts to do this. Um, in fact, if you look in Isaiah, Ezekiel, the prophets repeatedly warn that God not only sees it, but will come and trample these attempts. So this is not new, but here they are building this tower through their own methods, and as we're going to see, for their own purpose. So let's look at the why. Why are they doing this? Verse 4 tells us, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So there is a lot in this statement. Um, there's a lot here, but they said, let us make a name for ourselves. There's an extraordinary amount of pride that is oozing from these words, and we should pick up on, on that. Their concern is to build for their own fame, their own recognition, their own name. Their purpose is to stand on human invention and innovation as a method to accomplish all things. It's the power of human effort, collective human effort for our name, for our sake. Um, it's, it's placing your confidence in the collective human potential to do something amazing, to know better, to do better, to be better apart from God. In effect, it's to be like God. This great tower could be the great beacon that just points people to, look how, how incredible we can accomplish together apart from God. Now, um, if you didn't catch it, there's a subtle, very subtle connection here between what's going on here 
and what went on in Genesis at the fall with Adam and Eve. Now, if you, there's a powerful connection between the sin of Babel and the sin of Eden, because in both cases, men were persuaded to believe a very similar lie. And that is, we can, apart from God, be like God, make ourselves great, make, our, make a name for ourselves, know what he knows, be like him. It's just a subtle echo. This is like Eden part two. Um, the intent of building this tower was to join God in his work. Now, to make a name. Notice the text also says, this is ironic. I love irony. It says, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They did not want to be scattered or dispersed. Right? They did not want that to happen. Ironic, that was the command that God gave them with Noah. Multiply, fill the earth, go. Right? Um, ironic that that was the command. And yet here, this attempt to build the tower was the attempt to make a name for themselves so that they would not be scattered. Here's the, the irony in all this. When God comes, as we're about to see, and intervenes into this story, what does he do? He disperses them. So, so their very attempt to stop themselves from being dispersed becomes the action that leads them to be dispersed by God. Um, God's plan can't be thwarted. Amen? I mean, God has a plan. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So back where we are in our text. So here's what we see. We see humanity trying to do things our own way, right? Um, making a name for ourselves, pursuing power apart from God. So let me say it again. Humanity trying to do things our own way, making a name for ourselves, pursuing power apart from God. Now, it's a good thing that we don't struggle with that anymore. <laughs> Amen? It's a good thing that, that that's just something they dealt with back then. It's a good thing that we don't battle that. I mean, humanity trying to do things their own way, relying on our own collective potential, intelligence, accomplishing things apart from God. It's, a, it, it's good that today we don't passionately pursue making names for ourselves. It's, it's good, you know, that we've moved on uh, past that. It's a good thing we don't struggle pursuing power Apart from God, it's a good thing. We'll come back to that in a moment. How many of you have binged watched the Olympics at least one time this week? This is a safe spot. You can admit this here, right? So Candace and I love the Olympics. Like, we absolutely love it. I understand that it's the only time, like, every four years I care about these sports, but doesn't matter. Um, I love it. We love, we love watching it. So for a moment, I want to call out the elephant in the room with the Olympics. More specifically, what's often called the spirit of the Olympics. I want to, I want to highlight just, a, just something from this, and I want you to consider the not-so-subtle echoes of the spirit of Babel. Now, uh, take, for example, the, uh, the hope-filled words of the commercials and the commentators. Uh, painting in beautiful strokes the, the efforts of humanity, the resolve that we have to do all things, to accomplish all things. Uh, nothing's impossible. No hurdle is too high. Right? Um, there's this human-powered optimism that we're going to bring all people together, all creeds, all nations, 
and we are going to come together under shared values and goals. It's going to be beautiful. And all of these things, of course, don't get me wrong, are good things. If you're hearing that and you're going, no, I don't want that, that's weird. Like, we want that, right? Like, these are good things. But all of these things are great things. Consider for a moment the Olympic athletes. The language used around Olympic athletes as they perform and, and they immortalize themselves. We celebrate athletes who make a name for themselves. Can you hear the subtle echoes? The Olympics, as much as I love them, are a great and modern example of battle, Babel. And there's, there's, hear me again, nothing innately wrong with competition, performance, getting gold medals, all of that is great. Just as there's nothing wrong with building a really cool tower. Like, there's nothing wrong with that either, right? But the foolishness is what lies under the surface of that endeavor. And there's the same foolishness that lies under the surface. Like Babel, the foolishness lies in the fact that we begin to believe that we can do things our own way. We believe we can, we can make a name for ourselves, fix all of this. We start to believe that, that if we just come together, that we can accomplish all. Okay, if you don't believe me yet, maybe you love the Olympics and you're defensive in this moment. I am too. Let me push this a little further. Uh, I want to read to you the lyrics of a song that was played in one of the commercials in the Olympics. You might have seen this commercial. It's an older song. It's, it's not new to the Olympics, but the Olympics picked up on it, and, and as you'll see, it's, a, it's rather fitting. So you'll have to rem- just imagine as I tell you this, these, read these lyrics, uh, picture with me um, athletes who are running, biking, sweating, in pain, but have that middle distance look of like, I'm not going to stop. That's what's going on. That's the background. Now listen to these lyrics, because I think they express them express this way better than I could ever express this. You could be the greatest. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. You can beat the world. You can beat the war. You can talk to God, go banging on his door. You can throw your hands up. You can beat the clock. You can move a mountain. You can break rocks. You can be a master. Don't wait for luck. Dedicate yourself and you can find yourself. And for those of you who know the song, you're probably singing it right now. No judgment there either. Um, Standing in the Hall of Fame. And the world is going to know your name. Because you burn with the brightest flame. And the world's going to know your name. And you'll be on the walls of the Hall of Fame. Verse 2. You could go the distance. You can run the mile. You can walk straight through hell with a smile. You could be the hero. You can get the gold, breaking all the records that thought never could be broke. Do it for your people. Do it for your pride. How you ever going to know if you never even try? Do it for your country. Do it for your name. Because there's going to be a day when you're standing in the hall of fame. The world's going to know your name because you burn with the brightest flame. And the world's going to know your name because you'll be on the walls of the hall of fame. The song is by the script. Um, church, that was Babel. That was Babel better than I can explain it. It's subtle. 
And the, the commentators will say, the, the spirit of the Olympic Games is so much more than a sport, just as the spirit of building this tower was so much more than a construction project. Scripturally, here is where we disagree with the message of the Olympic Games. We cannot fix what is broken. We cannot immortalize ourselves. Global optimism, when it's founded on what we can do collectively, is on a shoddy foundation to say it best. Human strength, human resolve is not going to fix this. It's not going to solve our problem. Instead, church, we know that our God is sovereign and he is good. We we know that you and I will never be God, but our God has a beautiful plan of redemption that he has invited us in through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. You and I bear his image, but that image that we bear is not so that we can gain the glory from it. It's to bring glory to the one whose image we bear. That's what it is. Um, We believe that you and I are radically committed to making his name famous and not our own. So uh, speaking of Olympic athletes, I've been hard on them. So I thought it would be appropriate to sum this up by the words of two Olympic divers earlier this week. As you can see, I have watched my share of Olympics this week. Um, Now, synchronized diving is not my thing. Okay. Have you ever watched an Olympic game and you're like, I don't even know what's good. I don't even know why they're getting points for this. That's me watching synchronized diving. I, I think it has something to do with the amount of splash. I don't know. So I was, I was passively watching this and then something got my attention. Uh, so our, the Olympic uh, divers uh, earned uh, silver. And after they earned that medal, they were, they were interviewed on TV, and it was awesome because it was live TV, and it caught my attention. So this comes from, the names are David Bodia and Steele Johnson. They were asked about their performance. What do you do now? You know, after, after this is, what, what are you feeling in this moment? David said, and I quote, yeah, I just think this past week, There's just been an enormous amount of pressure, and I have felt it. But you know, it's it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on all of this, and as he said that, he points back to the pool, to the crowds, he points back. As my mind is on all of this, thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we both know our identity is in Jesus Christ. Amen. At this time, uh, the other diver, Steele, adds to this saying, knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not in this competition, whatever the result may be, I can just enjoy this experience. That is an incredible attitude to have, to, to counter the spirit of Babel as, as seen here. I want to give you one more quote and then we'll move on. A commentator says it really well. And what's interesting is this commentator echoes the words of these American divers. It says, man's Babylon, uh, Babel heart may meld phys- uh, political philosophy, economic theory, technology, psychology, and religion into a mighty self-elevating ziggurat. But it will never affect the autonomy or security that we long for. We will never scale heaven. 
We must leave off chasing after a name and find our identity in Christ. Amen. Every attempt by humanity to reach God, to be like God, to gain power from God, whether it be from building really large towers, whether it be from athletic performance or everything in between, whatever it may be, it is a losing game. And here in this construction of a tower, we're about to see that on display. So let's look at verse 5. There's a humor here that I don't want us to miss. Listen to this. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. So after all of those efforts, the biggest thing that's ever been done, making a tower to bring fame to our name, after all of that, a modern marvel, right? Reaching up into the heavens. After that, what does God do? The text says that the Lord came down to see it. Don't get the, the, the humor in that, that all of man's efforts to make a name for themselves and God is looking down, has to step down to see. And what, what was going on there? What was going on? And so he steps down to see it. Regardless of the magnitude of human effort, regardless, it pales in comparison to the magnitude of the glory of God. I want to say it like this. You're never going to do anything to reach God. You are never going to do anything to reach God. The only way that you can have contact with God is because God himself reached down to you. You're not going to work your way up. He came down. Let's look at God's response. Verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Now, out of all the verses in our story, I guarantee that this one brings the most questions up in your mind. What on earth is going on here? It's like, what is he talking about? Is God nervous? Is, is um, God threatened here? Or is he saying, well, they're getting kind of close. I better stop them because is it, is it rooted in fear? What on earth does this mean? I want to put something before you this morning. That this response, God's response, is a gracious response rather than a fearful response. That it is a, a response not fueled by fear, but one fueled by grace. Now let me tell you what, or kind of unpack what I mean by that. So a fearful response would be like what we just talked about. God saying, oh no. Look at that. What am I going to do? That's a fearful response. That somehow he's worried that they're going to gain too much power. That these, these, this creation that I've created is going to get too powerful. And, and whew, I better step in. I better stop this. Um, if, they, if they continue to work like this, can you imagine? Like That's a fearful response. And, I, and as you kind of feel, that is really difficult to defend biblically that God would look at human effort and feel that way. It's really difficult to, to especially, the Bible paints a really different picture uh, that we have an all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, creator, limitless, perfect in every way, that that's the God that we serve. Does it not seem odd that a tower construction project would make him nervous? 
I mean, think, we're coming out of a chapter where God, through the words of his mouth, flooded the world. I don't think he's worried or caught off guard with fear by this. Um, This was nothing compared to the wonder of God himself. And so fear doesn't, to me, offer the greatest explanation for what's going on here. So what is going on here? I want to put before you that if it's not fear, I believe that this moment, that this response by God is one of grace. One of grace. Think of it like this. If you you have someone you love and you see them and they are working tirelessly on, on a project that you know if they complete, it will lead them to pain, it will lead them to, to hurt. It will lead them to even, even death or destruction. If you see someone you love like that, would it not be the most gracious thing that you could do to step in, to intervene in, in some way, to stop it? Not out of a place of fear, not because you are threatened, but out of love and out of grace, you step in and you stop it because you know that the path that they're going down will lead to destruction. I believe that this paints a better picture of what is happening here in this moment. Listen to this. So, behold, they are one people. They all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they'll do. Meaning, it's only the beginning. This is going to get worse. This is going to lead to worse places. Um, I've issued my judgment through a flood. We're not going back there. And... I'm not going to let it get to that place again. So what God does is graciously steps in and slows the progress of evil. He slows the progress of evil. He says, and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them, meaning they are going to work together to lead continually against me and against my plan. Sorry again for all of you who live in the east, but they're going to continue moving east. Right? I know this. They're going to work together to do this. And so God steps in, and he, if left unattended, he knows where they would head, so he steps in. And it's out of grace, not fear. And so what happens in verse 7? Hear me. This is for their good. This is for their good. Let's look at this. Listen to this. Verse 7. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So how cool is that? And how frustrating is that? Like, imagine, I thought of like just a business meeting, just a meeting at work and you're just talking and all of a sudden you shift to Portuguese. You're like, what in the world? The, the person beside you um, responds in Mandarin. And then the lady across the table then says, what's going on in Italian? And then your boss is angry and says, stop this in German. Do you know how frustrating that would be? And in a moment, that's what happened. In a moment, that's what I, If you can just imagine that scene. And how creative is our God, by the way? Like, how creative is that? To just say, you know what? I know it'll stop this. Now try that. Like, that is just unbelievable. It's, it's brilliant. And more than it being brilliant, it's an absolute miracle, and it's something that cannot be replicated. This was at work and in in an act of God. Uh, I can't snap my fingers and cause myself to know Spanish. I wish I could, but that's not happening. But here, that's exactly what happens, simultaneously confusing everyone's language. If there's one way to put it into babble. If, if you look at that song, that just oozes this air 
arrogance and pride. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Boom. Not if you can't talk to each other. Like, it was, it is just beautiful. This whole, I'm going to bang on God's door. The world's going to know my name. I don't think so. It was in a moment, this loving act of discipline that stopped the progress of evil in this community, this in humanity at this time. And in verse 8, the people now end up doing the very thing that they were trying so desperately to stop. So look at verse 8. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of, the, of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So what man did his best to prevent, what he did his very best to stop, was the exact result of the action that they did. That God steps in, he has a plan. What a story, right? What a story this is. I, I love this story, but as we think about this story with the rest of our time, um, I, as we think about it, what we need to do is ask ourselves a question, and that is this. Um, where in your life are your babbles? Where in your life are your babbles? What babbles are there in your, in your life? What are the places where you see the spirit of babble? It ways that you're doing things on your own, in your own way, for your own glory, with no regard for God and his plans? What are the things that you've placed your confidence and your security in outside of, of God? Let me be clear. Um, as we're answering this question, most of the time, babbles, our babbles are not bad things. In fact, the best babbles are good things. The best babbles are the good ones. Um, so while you're thinking, because I really want you to think about this, let me give you an example, one that hits close home to me. And as I share my dirty laundry, hopefully that'll get your wheels turning a little bit, um, that of babbles that I see in my life and in, in, my, in my area, especially my area of work. Um, and hopefully this will help you identify some of your own. Don't steal mine, okay? Um, I, as you know, am a pastor, and I love what I do. I get to spend a lot of time in the church with, with people like you, and I, I love what I, what I do. It's a beautiful responsibility that, that I feel like I get to love, to lead, to serve the church. I love it. I, I also um, am a church planter, meaning that uh, we started this church. That Stone Oak Bible Church didn't exist two years ago. And, and now we step back and we see, God, look at what you're doing in this church, in this people. It is just unbelievable. Good things, right? Good things. Absolutely, they are good things. But don't think for a moment, if left unchecked, unchecked that all of this can become my babble. Don't think for a moment that if left, if, if left unchecked, that this, the spirit of Babel, if you remember, was, was us as humans trying to do things our own way for our own glory. Church, it takes a constant reliance on God and surrounding myself with wise um, people that are honest and who love me that can call out sin in my life. It takes so much for me to, to realize when I'm relying on my own wisdom and not his. When I'm trying to do things on my, more than that, Stone Oak Bible Church, if left unchecked, can become so quickly my identity that I rise and I fall with this church. That cannot be my identity. 
It cannot be my identity. Um, in fact, I get to spend a lot of time with pastors in our community. And you want to know how many pastors have been wrecked by this? Do you know how much depression and how much it is unbelievable as our identity becomes something else? This is a natural overflow of what will of what will happen. This is not my identity any more than diving was the identity of those Olympic divers. This is not my identity. It's a good thing, yes. It's not my identity. More than that, it is so easy for all of this to become about us. For all of this to become about how great our church is and not how great our Jesus is. You see how simple, how easy, how subtle this movement is where Babel is not always the bad things. So often it's the good things. So often it's the good things. Our enemy is crafty. And for years he has been deceiving humanity with the same lie. Started in the garden, expresses itself here in Babel, and expresses itself in our lives today. It's the same it's the same lie. He would want nothing more than for, for me to let my service to God replace and become my identity. The enemy would want nothing more than that. And, and oh, that I would echo the words of Paul. We're going to read this here in a moment. But indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. Church, even the good things. So let me ask what are your babbles? What are your babbles? Um, where are the places in your life that you are committed to doing things your own way? Where are the places in your life that you are radically committed to making yourself look really good? Building yourself, self-promotion. Where are those places? Um, what are the areas in your life that you have begun, begun to kind of shift your identity Apart from Christ to the things that you do, let's get specific. Has your job become your babble? I say this one because this one is so easy, and again, it's a good thing. Has your job become your babble? And you know what I found is that this isn't a one-time fix-all solution. This is a constant walking with Jesus to make sure that it does not become your identity because your job can so quickly become your identity. It can so quickly become the way you find identity, the way you find security, the way you find confidence. And you see that when tragically if someone loses their job, it's like their very heart was ripped out of them. It's because it's so close and near to dear to us and the good things can shift to the things so quickly and so easily. Um, has your family become Babel? Bring this up because this is so easy as well. Has your family become your battle? This is, this is another good thing, but your identity is in Christ, not in your motherhood or fatherhood. Your, your glory is not in how great you are as a parent or how great you are as a spouse. That's not your glory. That is not your identity. Remember, the good things make the best babbles. Is your job, is your family, have, have, have those things become babble for you? How about your, your skills, your abilities, your creativity? All of these things that we look on, we stand on, and we become so confident in ourselves. Is that your babble? 
Instead of those things being the tools that we are to use for the glory of God, now they become the tools that we use for the glory of us. Right? Has, has that happened? Is that your, your babble? Um, listen, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. Our babbles are so, so often so subtle, and they have one thing in common. They have one thing in common, and that is this. They're each seeking to pull your identity away from Christ. Each one of them are seeking to pull your identity away from Christ and to replace it with something lesser. With something lesser. Um, something else that steals your purpose, your joy, your focus, your hope. And so I want to read this um, for us in, in Philippians again. Chapter 3 in, in Philippians. Uh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in, the glory, in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he's laying out his resume here. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. There's his resume. Now verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by, all, by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. As God re begins to reveal the babbles that you have in your life in this moment, as he begins to work, um, it's time, church, for us to confess and to repent. There's forgiveness in Christ, and just as in our story, so often uh, God's revealing of our babbles is, one of, is an act of grace. There's forgiveness in Christ. Um, now, I want us to end by thinking just real quickly of Babel in a very different way. In closing, I want you to think for a moment how Jesus Christ is the only true Babel. Think for a moment of how Jesus Christ is the one, the only true Babel. Remember, as they built this tower, they sought to reach God. They sought to find purpose outside of God. They sought to lessen the gap between man and God. They sought to lessen that gap, and they sought a purpose. And now, as we've said, they did it for the wrong reason. Um, they, they did this in the wrong way, and it did not end well with them, right? We know that. But when Jesus Christ comes, for those seeking to reach God, God now steps down to reach us. For those who are, are seeking to lessen the gap between man and God, now Jesus steps down and bridges the gap. The God-man, as we're going to talk about in Luke, bridges the gap, a mediator, an advocate. For those seeking purpose, Jesus Christ came and he gives us a reason and a purpose.
Jesus Christ is the one true Babel, and all attempts on our part, apart from him, will fall flat. The good news is that through him, we have a new identity. And if you don't have that identity in Christ this morning, before you leave, I want to encourage you to find me or find someone. We want to pray with you before you leave this place. Because there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And if God is doing something in your heart right now, please don't rush away. Lunch can wait. Lunch can wait. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Let's pray. God, I I thank you for all of the moments when you step in and out of love and out of grace, you step in and, and you, you, um, you show us a better way. And for so many of us, it's so, for all of us, it is so easy to begin to construct our own babbles in our life. We have not learned. It is so easy for us to, or to be driven to do things our own way, to do our own thing and for our own glory. It is so easy for us to fall into that never-ending trap. But God, in this moment, I pray that you give us eyes to see not only who you are and what, who, what you have done, but God, that you give us eyes to see into our own life, to see the things that we have constructed in our life, that we have done things our way, for our purposes, and for our glory. God, give us eyes to see those things and then give us the heart to come to you and to confess them. And I pray as we finish our service singing about the depth of your love, that this would be a time that we can call out to you in repentance for what you've called us to be, that we would turn from our babbles and place our identity squarely in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.